Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on Lawrence Hits Sponsored Talk With Me. <laughs> hey, I don't get to do many shows with local people in my room with me anymore, which is fun and also is kind of weird. Anyway, today I'm excited to be doing, this is sort of a first for this chapter, a first show since the Raven Bookstore owner is now poet Danny Kane. The first show with one of the readers for the long-standing, wonderful Big Tent series of readings at the Raven Bookstore. So that's how I connected with this person. We actually hadn't met until today, um, but I read the information about the October Big Tent, and I thought, oh, I want to talk with this person, and I hope this person wants to talk with me. So here we are in October of 2017. Hey, Nina Supri, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, Marsha. <laughs> Who knows what mischief we'll come up with. Oh, my this gosh. Will be. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll yeah, be great. It'll be great. Uh-huh. And I hear that, you know, I, I learned about you from Kelly Barth from The Raven and then learned that Mercedes Lucero, who I also know and I've actually also done a show with, is the the current curator for the Mm -hmm. Big Tent series. Yeah, I know Mercedes through the uh, creative writing program, the Dodger Creative Writing Program at KU. Um, And I've seen her read. I love her work. She asked me to read actually last spring, and I had to to kind of cancel at the last minute, and I felt real bad about it. Yeah. I sent them a lot of cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Did you send cat treats too? I didn't. Oh. Ooh, no, that next would have time. been smart. Yeah, next time. Or maybe I'll just like fill my pockets with cat treats because I've been trying to get those cats to love me since I moved here. I love bookstore cats. Cool, cool. So you got, I don't even know this. How does how does Big Ten come together? Like how Ooh, did they tell you how they chose you to do reading? No, no, I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I really don't know. It's a mystery to me. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I just assumed part of it is like, you know, they, the curators are all people who are like well connected with, you know, the literary community uh-huh. in Lawrence, which is wonderful and yeah. thriving. Yeah. Um, so much more than I like kind of would have expected um, when I was moving here. Um, and it's one of the things that actually attracted me to Lawrence is there are so many writers, there are so many events here. Yeah. Um, someone just like really talented people here. It's kind of, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think of here, I really, I really think about the connections that have built in Kansas city and Lawrence and Topeka. And even beyond that, that, that there are a lot of people that are doing things together, readings, Mm. you know, publishing ideas that are coming up from conversations between people who've met. That's exciting to me, the connecting part. It is too. Yeah. For me too. Just that, um, I don't know. And like, I came to Lawrence from Chicago. Oh. Um, and I loved, I loved living in Chicago. Most of the time I lived living in Chicago. Um, I had my objections to various parts of it. Um, but I was really worried about, you know, like moving to a, a much smaller town in Kansas as yeah. well. That I would, you know, I, I was a little nervous about it. I'm yeah. not going to lie, That's but it. yeah, like I said, it was, you know, it was proven to me very, very quickly that there is um, this vibrant and like much more communal uh, 
sense of, of, you know, like an art community, a communal community, whatever. I don't know, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people are, get really excited about each other's work. There's not this mm-hmm. kind of like overwhelming sense of like too much happening all the time. Like there can mm-hmm. be in big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels really supportive here too. Yeah. And I think there, there is a lot of that. I think there, you know, I think it, overall in the world, there's also this, there are sets of people who don't end up interacting a lot, you mm. know, unfortunately. So even like when I first started doing shows with writers and actually the, the I, I, it sort of started happening, happening gradually. And I thought, Lawrence hasn't had a poetry slam in a long time. I bet I could help organize that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, that to me, that pointed out that even though there is a lot going on, there wasn't a lot of connection between certain parts, even of the Lawrence writing communities, mm-hmm. you know? And so we did this cool thing where we had some people from the university and we had it academics and we had street poets and we had we did slam with um in between each round we had readings that were scheduled so people didn't have to be spoken word kind of poets Mm -hmm. to participate in this night and it was awesome and people commented about that it's like i I would never have heard these other people and i really like this Mm -hmm. and so i kind of saw this coming together around that time a lot of things started happening with people of different types of writing, connecting and doing some things together. But then I also saw, as happens, personal things that were going on for different peoples who were sort of leaders of different parts of those communities. And so things got, I would say, more scattered. Um, and there are some, some groups that are sort of pockets of groups that are really close. But you know, I always look at Lawrence as a community and, and the lack of visible diversity because mm-hmm. we don't tend to see, you know, I, well, one, I don't, I, I work too much and I don't end up going out to do enough stuff. Oh so, my God, I hear that. <laughs> I'm a grad student. So just like at this point, I'm like every, every time I'm like, do I want to, you know, after like this week of like lesson planning and doing homework and teaching yeah. and mentoring my yeah. students and all of this other stuff. I don't know what happened, you know, in the spring where I just decided that I was going to sign up for like a hundred different kind of things. Cool. You know, so I'm like on all these committees and I'm doing work with like the graduate teaching assistant union. And then I, so at the end of that, I'm just like, can I actually crawl out of bed right yeah. and go to these things? It's yeah. so hard. It's yeah. so hard sometimes, especially trying to find like, you know, like balancing all of that and then still carving out time to like be creative Yes, yeah. is so difficult. And I've just utterly failed at it for yeah. the last like two Ooh. weeks. It's okay. Yeah, okay. It's okay. It's fine. I'm you having know? fun. <laughs> it's not like I'm having fun. It's like, oh, I'm catching up on all of the sleep debt that oh, I've accrued that over the now. last semester. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's just there's this thing with writers where like, there's this like large, there's this like, I don't know, body of received wisdom where it's like, you have to write every single day. Uh And that's just impossible for a lot of people. Uh And like, I've tried to do that and it does me no favor. (laughs) So at this point I'm just like, I'm not going to write for a little while. I'm not going to go to this reading. I'm going to like actually say no to these things. I'm going to stay home. That's a life skill. Seriously. It's important. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But I will also say that some of the writers who I've met 
they've expanded the everyday thing to, I don't have to write every day, but I want to do something related to my writing every day. Uh And so that might be working towards something that's going to be submitted in terms of all those logistics, not, not actually working on the piece, but, but with the, the goal of trying to do something with one's writing each day. Absolutely. And I see that thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, and maybe I've kind of just like expanded that even more of just like, you know, whenever I'm, you know, I just had this, (laughs) I just ended up writing this thing, um, mostly for myself where I ended up watching a lot of anime (laughs) over the last like three months. Um, but you know, I was watching this anime and looking at it really critically and just being like, all right, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things that are happening in these shows. Like, mm-hmm. how can I maybe apply that to my writing or mm-hmm. what lessons can I take away mm-hmm. from that? You know, which, and maybe that was just an exercise in justifying, uh, you know, watching, you know, 60 episodes of Full Metal Alchemist or something like that. But you I know, think it's legit, man. I, I, that's, thank you. Thank yeah, you I do. Thank you for your affirmation. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't know whether you have met Dennis Etzel Jr. yet, but Dennis is a poet in Topeka. He's a wonderful person. He teaches at Washburn. There's all these, I can go on glowing about Dennis because he's a very dear person. And when we were talking about his writing, he, he was really clear that a big influence on his writing was comics. Mm-hmm. And one part of that was that comics have these little squares and limited amounts of space for words. And so that honing in on packing a lot into small sections of words was something, you know, you know, in addition to there's so much about the themes that are in different mm-hmm. kinds of art, you know. So like I'm all about like what what can nudge you into better and different things that you do in your writing. Yeah. So well, oh. I want to back well I want to back up a little bit okay. just to say so tell just some about you and writing sort of like you, you mentioned that you came here from Chicago and then uh, how about the, you know you Before and writing that? okay yeah. uh, me and writing um oof, there's a lot of history there uh-huh. um so I am one of those people that's been you know writing since I was a kid I just really loved it okay. and it, it grew out of a love for reading um and um somebody I've had to do like three different interviews in the last like two months. So if, if these answers sound a little canned, oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Here's my bio. You should have uh, read it. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not my bio. It's just like, you know, people have been asking me these questions and it's been forcing me to like, oh, you know, actually that's really interesting. Why did I start writing when I was a kid? Yeah. Um, so I, it really just grew out of reading um, and my love for reading. And why did I love reading? Oof. Um, without getting into like a lot of heavy stuff part of that was escapism I think you know um and part of it was also like wanting to read things that helped me understand um the world Mm -hmm. and like the you know the experiences that I was going through because there wasn't a lot out Uh there um so that was helping me navigate like my my experiences as a child and Mm -hmm. the you know, sure, there was like, you know, childhood therapy, which I definitely went through. There was a bunch of other things, but, you know, books helped me more than anything else Mm -hmm. um, to get through these experiences and like understand them in in their own terms. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, loving reading ended up, you know, inevitably becoming like loving writing. Um, That's just kind of how 
it happened for me. Um, and that doesn't happen for everybody. It I does speak as no. somebody I'd like to read, but I mm-hmm. would rather talk than write. <laughs> Fair. I would, I would absolutely rather write than talk. <laughs> Which, you know, people who know me are like, but you talk a lot. <laughs> it's, all, it's all an act. It's all an act. Um, are you a self-described introvert? Because I think a lot of I am. Are. I really love this word. I'm an ambivert. Okay. Um, I can put on an extroverted show, um, uh-huh. which is a like another life skill that I've learned at uh-huh. this point, um, and a really helpful one for a writer that you know. Like one of the things I've learned about writing is, you know, you need to make friends in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that has been invaluable for me. Um, but. Like I can, so I can put on the extroverted show, um, which is super helpful if I'm going to like a conference or a convention or something. Or because, teaching, perhaps. Or, or teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I need like two days alone in a quiet room uh-huh. with uh-huh. a book and like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. It gets too much sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, should I keep talking about like my writing? I don't know. I don't think you want to. I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to. Um, but. What kind of writing, what genre? Because we haven't talked about that. What, oh, what kinds of things do you write? I write, I have written a lot of different genres. I started out writing, um, like the first writing classes I ever took were actually in screenplay writing. Um, and I did that for a long time. That moved into playwriting and I was doing poetry. It's funny you mentioned poetry slams um, because that's definitely like the first writing community I knew was uh, the local poetry slam where I uh-huh. inflicted some very terrible teenage poetry on, on some very nice people who were so welcoming <laughs> about it. And just like, oh, oh, oh good for you. <laughs> um, after that, I started really getting into, I've written essays, I've done comic book scripts. Um, comic book scripts. I have. Yeah. I, know there was I such can't a thing. draw. <laughs> okay. I can't draw okay. hardly at all. Um, but... I, you know, my sibling is an artist, so we've collaborated and have collaborated cool. with other people too. As you say that, I'm laughing in part because I have a dear friend who unfortunately is in the Jackson County Jail and has been all year. Mm-hmm. And um, we write, because that's something you can do. Mm-hmm. And, and he's doing these stories and comics for his daughter. And so he sends me, every once in a while he'll send me, it's like, I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then if he explains like the names of a character, he's like, oh, okay. Because I'm looking at this going, I have no idea what these drawings are doing. <laughs> <laughs> His talent is not drawing either. That's not sorry, Kagan, but it's true. And Ooh. you can't hear me right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shout out, Kagan. <laughs> it's, it's good. Have you ever read of Linda Berry? Oh, of course. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, she's definitely like somebody I, whose work I love so uh-huh. much, and especially like the you know writing she does about writing and drawing, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, where she's like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like a good drawing or a bad drawing, and there's something that's actually really compelling and amazing about the things that people call bad drawings. Yes, which yes. yeah, I love that. <laughs> so that isn't something you've really let yourself do a lot of, though, apparently, because you you wanted to write the scripts, not the yeah. drawing. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, but it's collaboration. That's a good thing. I love collaboration. Yeah, and I, I know the things that I am talented at, and the things that I would, you know, and like art, art is just visual art is just not one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna prompt you to go ahead and say a little bit about you personally, in that 
the description of you in the big tent is pretty personal more so than a lot of times what they write about their writers. So, Which is funny because I don't actually consider it, you know, a really personal thing to say, hi, I'm queer, I'm trans, I'm non-binary. But I do remember like when I first started putting that out there and how terrifying it was. Uh-huh. At this point, it's just um, habit. Um, uh-huh. I've gotten, you know, that's kind of why I started making myself do it uh-huh. because like, okay, it's, it gets easier after a while to just like tell absolute strangers, like something that, um, can be considered like really, really personal. Uh-huh. Like, oh, this is just who I am. Uh-huh. It's not even really that personal anymore. <laughs> so instead of waiting for you to ask me a question, that's a really stupid question. I'll just <laughs> tell you now. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely has become a like self-defense mechanism uh-huh. too. Of just like, I, if I say this now, you, you know, hopefully I can avoid having a lot of like really awful, awkward conversations yeah. with you. Are later. people staring at you? Uh, no, that, there's nothing that stops that. Oh, okay. There's absolutely nothing I've <laughs> found okay, that, that's, oh, you know, um, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Um, so more about that. Um, I identify as queer. Um, and, oh, gosh, I think I have uh, since I was probably, like, 15 around there, um, where I was just like, oh, no, I am really actually into Gillian Anderson um, playing Agent Skelly on the X Files uh-huh. in a way that's not straight. Uh-huh. It's this is I'm not a straight person. Okay, that's what that means. Cool. That's you know I figured that out. Congratulations, me. And then um, it took so that was around 15. I think I probably took maybe another like you know four or five years to understand that like oh I'm not I'm also not gender. You know I was assigned female at birth. That is not, you know, like in this, you know, that's not how I think of myself, like in the conversations in my head where I'm talking or thinking about like who I am, mm-hmm. what I am, like, you know, how that relates to how I move through the world. Um, female or woman just absolutely does not apply. It doesn't work for me. Um, and, you know, the language that I use has evolved over the years because, you know, I started, I think, identifying as like gender fluid or gender queer when I was maybe like 20. Um, and just kind of, you know, as I like understood more about what that means to me and like, you know, the language itself has also evolved terms that people use. I don't really hear people using the word gender queer um, as often. Um, I don't know why, you know, terms fall in and out of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not super concerned about it but uh-huh. and it's not that it's a less valid identity if fewer people are using it it's just okay you know that's you know my understanding of myself has evolved uh-huh. um, so I don't really use that word anymore mm-hmm. I use transgender and non-binary mm-hmm. um, and for me what that means you know transgender as in like I am transitioning out of like you know legally physically I'm transgender like I'm transitioning out of um, this one gender and into something different it's not that I'm male or I don't think I'm a man um I'm just like not this thing and I'm leaving it behind a little bit mm-hmm. a little bit it's 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 a journey mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um yeah and I I think I think in so many I, I part of what I'm doing is reflecting on some things that happened in a group that I lead that was last night mm-hmm. I think in so many ways a lot of people assume about whatever it is, you know, even emotion, whatever, that it's either this or that, mm-hmm. that 
if you love somebody, you can't feel anger towards them. It's like, well, no, that's not true. You know, those aren't contradictory. It's and, you know, and, and so the, the notion of binary to me is something that maybe is an easy way that people kind of went through the world because it's, you're either this or that, you know? And so when I think about when I was first, the first person who I knew who identified at that time, I think the language, even without surgery was transsexual um, way back when is how that person defined and that person defined as um, I'm a woman even though I was supposed to be a man kind of thing it was like mm-hmm. I have to either be a woman or a man and my my male body male identity isn't me so I'm a woman you know and and then and that was kind of a long time ago have you know looking I think where trans, whatever, transsexual, transgender, whatever word was being used, that, that it was still a binary thing. Yeah. And then and then there's been lots of growth in that and recognition that, no, you don't have to be either or. And and I think about somebody that I got to know. We used to, I was the director at Headquarters Counseling Center for a long time, and we did trainings for new staff and experienced staff on um, gender and sexual orientation, um, and one of the couples that would come in, uh, a couple who's been together forever and now married together, um, Star identifies as bisexual, and um, Star's partner, now spouse, really identified as sometimes female, sometimes male. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was how it was. That was that was the first person that I met, and and male pooch, female Andrea, you know that was the first uh, person I met who said sometimes this, sometimes that. Mm-hmm. It's like well, that's important to know, yeah. you know. And then and then now, people who I meet like you, it's like well, no, not sometimes this, sometimes that, not this or that. I just am who yeah. I am. <laughs> And that's yeah, but I, I I also know a lot of people who identify as like um, like bi gender. I think is a word that you know yeah. I've heard a lot of people use. Where it's like yeah, sometimes I'm I'm a man. Sometimes I feel like a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I really just feel like either. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote a story about this. Like, gosh, that was 2012, I think. One of the characters is bi gender. Uh-huh. Um, and throughout the story, you know, um, uses female pronouns, uses male pronouns, um, and occasionally uses neither. Uh-huh. Um, and like, what, it, it, I love the fact that um, at this point there are so many more choices uh-huh. than fewer. It's not like things are being uh, clarified or narrowed down. It's just yeah. like the ideas are expanding. It's like, oh, why do we need yeah. to understand? Yeah. You know, like, or why? Why do we need like um, these very rigid categories? Like, why can't we have more diversity? Why can't we have more choices? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than just like, oh, well, if it doesn't feel this way, it's it's your fault. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting, one of the things that's really interesting to me, as you say that, is I'm, you know, my my brain is percolating to okay, so Denise Lowe, who was a poet laureate of Kansas and is an amazing person, writer of different genres, poetry and more. She has a book called Jackalope. Uh-huh. And Jackalope is based on um, 
We should read it next month in September. She's read. Yeah, she okay. did something recently. I think I, I think I made her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Denise, the book Jackalope, the the Jackalope mythology is a gender shifter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and so that goes way back. That's not just like in modern times we um, think this. There's um this sort of growing. Uh, a body of you know like research and knowledge that's kind of like digging into like okay so how did um like you know other cultures and like you know historically how people understood gender uh-huh. um and it's so much less clear-cut than uh-huh. it has been portrayed in the past like yeah. you know yes there have all there are so many places so many cultures like historically who have had uh you know a third gender for mm-hmm. example um I know that in India, there's a um, third gender of like Isra, um, who are actually distinct from trans women. Like, you know, they're like, I'm not a trans woman, I'm an Isra. It's, this is its own thing yeah. that has its like, you know, very specific cultural meaning there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also trans women. And, you know, like the overlap there, I'm not, I can't speak to it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's so out of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, yeah. Um, but there are like other cultures where like the, there have been, you know, people who fall out of the male and female binary. Um, you know, there's also like mythological figures who obviously have as well, um, or who have shifted. Like, you know, you mentioned the jackalope. Um, there's kite. There's also like Loki, um, who uh, you know, in North mytholo- Norse mythology, you know, is the is male most of the time, except when he's female, except when he, you know, is a woman who's giving birth to an eight-legged horse, you know, because, you because North mythology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how, how does all this come together in your writing? Because obviously who you are, who any writer is, uh-huh. comes forth in their writing in different kinds of ways. And, and I'm asking in part wondering if you if you use certain pieces to help people learn stuff that they need to learn, you know, without like, this is not lecture one-on-one on gender, but as you read this story, you might be stressed a bit in your understanding of this. Somebody asked me at one point, like, oh, well, what do you, what do you hope that like cisgender people get out of your writing? And I'm like, you know, I don't actually really think about that most of the time. I don't care about cisgender people, <laughs> honestly. I don't care about them. It's just like, that's not usually who I'm writing for. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that like, I only write for trans people. Cause I write, I just, I mostly write for myself, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't really think of my stories as like teaching tools. Uh-huh. Although I know that they have been used that way and that's uh-huh. fine. Uh-huh. Um, I encourage it. I, you know, consider that on, like an honor. Um, and of course there's background noise to the max. Hey, shout out to the landscapers <laughs> of the world. Um, so, I'm really distracted by yeah, this lawnmower. we're just gonna blab for a while until the lawnmower from next door is a little quieter, perhaps. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's only temporary. Yeah, because well, you said something that, that I wanna I wanna launch into mm-hmm. the idea that you're you're not writing for cisgender people to learn, and you are writing for people who really aren't well represented in literature 
everybody should be able to find a huge selections of things that really include them as yeah. opposed to, oh, look, there's one trans character in this series of books that has 150 different people in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I mostly end up writing um, speculative fiction, so like horror, science fiction, fantasy, and like all of the different permutations of those. Um, and, you know, in some ways, like, I feel like speculative fiction can kind of get like, get a little ahead of the game of just like, you know, realist fiction. Uh -huh. um, just because it seems like there's something of like a lower, um, I don't know, wait, what am I trying to say? It's like not as hard to like break into um, in some ways and in other ways it is very hard to break into, but um, oh shoot, lost my train of thought there. Um, what are we talking about? Representation, inclusiveness. Um, not all of my stories are about trans people. Um, most of them are about gender in some way or some form. Uh -huh. um, but I think it can also be a little bit, mm, this is something that I was thinking about this morning when um, you know there's this expectation if you are a marginalized person in some way that you always kind of have to write about your experience of marginalization or you know about the group, the marginalized group that you belong to, uh -huh. uh, which I think can be really really dangerous. Um, the story that uh, a story that I that actually got published last night. Um, I was writing about this on Twitter this morning uh, during one of the like iterations of the story. Um, a teacher, you know, in a private conversation was like, I don't understand why you're writing about men. Like, why don't you write about yourself? And I was like, oh, you don't get it. I actually am writing about myself. Um, but you're like, who you think you're looking at is not like who I'm looking at myself. Does that uh -huh. make sense? Yes. yes. Um, so See, I love that. And in a very different way. So I have this friend, Paul Ross, who has this trilogy and it's, my point is that I started reading it. I started, he sent me the first book. I said, ah, there goes the lawnmower again. <laughs> lawnmower. There's not that much grass over there. I don't know what they're doing. Anyway. He's got this like fancy riding mower. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That happens it's, in this neighborhood. I know. They mow so about three houses, five houses, whatever on a block. They mow what? They just mow a whole bunch of houses on the block. So they go from house to house if they're doing. Okay. So like so, we're going to have it on this side and then it's going to be on the other side. No, the they won't. They don't do next door. Thank goodness. On the other side, just, just the side closest and noisiest. Uh -huh. But, but with my friend Paul, so he sends me this book and we start reading it. And honestly, I'm like, I don't know if I can read this. I am sure enough having nightmares the night I read the mm -hmm. first section. And so I, I, I contact my friend. Not the lawnmower friend. <laughs> and, and I say, Paul, you know, I'm really sorry, but I don't think I can read this because some of the, the violence between these characters is, is more than I can tolerate. He goes, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, and I said, and it's, and it's really loud again next door. Uh -huh. It's really kind of an odd glimpse into you. You know, this is a, the person I've known since, you know, gosh, I don't know, we were undergrads. We randomly ended up living in the same house together, mm -hmm. became friends and have stayed friends. So I said, I feel it's, it's kind of, it's kind of voyeuristic to read. And, and he said, well, who do you think I am? 
in the in this book and i said i think you're everybody mm-hmm. in this book and he's like yes <laughs> Uh-huh. And so like you, it's like, I'm not just this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, and, and I get that too. Um, I worry sometimes that like, you know, cause I worry because my mom reads my, my uh-huh. fiction. Um, and she is like unfailingly supportive of it. Um, but every so often I'm just like, you know, there's this one story that I wrote, um, that's called the shape of my name that is super personal in a lot of ways, but it's, it's, I worry that people think it's going to be my story and it's not my story. It's a story of a character who's going through very specific things, um, including a really, really um, hard and troubled relationship with his mother. He's also, you know, like, I'm not saying that there's nothing of, of me in that. Um, I wrote that story. Um, the main character is trans and it's a story about transition and coming out and coming to terms with like, who you are and saying like, you know, this is, you know, who I am. This is what I want you to call me. This is the name that I choose for myself. And it's, um, I wrote that when I was kind of like in the, like in a, well, in a transition of just, you know, like literally going, starting to go by a new name, which is Nino, um, which is what I've been going by for mm, since 2014. Um, but I've been thinking about it for probably five years before that. Mm-hmm. This name has just been kind of like, dwelling somewhere mm-hmm. um, in my head. And so that story, I, I, I always wonder, like, I don't want people to think like, you know, these are stories about me and my life, but they are stories of, you know, things that I think about, things that I wonder about. Um, but they're not, I'm not writing my own experiences. If I was going to do that, I would just write nonfiction and, mm-hmm. and call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think I'm just a sort of like confrontational person in that way. I'm like this, or I own my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel the need to, you know, couch them solely in fiction terms um, or in terms of fiction rather. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I, I get that, but I'm, I also, you know, obviously we all are, you know, what, what we say, our communication is informed by who we are. So, you know, I get that. And sometimes, some fiction that I've read, you know, including a book we were talking about, Mugabe's book, mm-hmm. uh, Philomena, that Mugabe Bianca, um, the, the who sounds amazing, by the way. Yeah, I love that interview. Yeah, yeah. I thank you. And but that book is so based on mm-hmm. real a real year in his life. And it's fictionalized in terms of how he presents it as this conversation or this these communications mm-hmm. between him and this other person, you know. But but it's I mean it's reflective of what was going on. Yeah. Time. Um. And I absolutely respect that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know that for some people it's it is completely necessary to do that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know, I probably shouldn't have said like, oh, I would never do that. I'm like, I think I'm probably doing that right now with another story that I'm trying to work okay. on. Um, but it there's this thing that happens, um, and I notice it most with trans people, where like people automatically assume, like even if you're writing something like and it's, it's fiction on the front of the book, um, people assume that it is also your own experience. Um, and this is something that I was thinking about, uh, especially with this, like one of the first novels that I read about like trans masculinity um, 
which was uh, Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg. It's this incredibly important novel to me and also just like to, in terms of like thinking about like queerness and gender, um, it was really formative for me. And that book is incredibly hard to read. Uh, the main character goes through so much um, and is abused, um, is, you know, like, you know, has to navigate like a violently homophobic and transphobic society. Um, and at so many turns is like, you know, thrown down and kicked on the ground, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and Leslie Feinberg was speaking about that story later and was like, actually, I'm really blessed because I've had a very different experience than this main character. Uh -huh. um, you know, I've experienced love, I've experienced community, and these things have saved me in so many ways. Um, but that's not the story that people tend to hear. You know, um, people tend to just like read this and assume it's actually autobiography um, or a memoir. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, you know, writing autobiographical fiction and then sometimes people just like assume, you know, that the whole story is your whole life right. as well. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. It's no, just so, okay. it's something I think about a lot. But how about sharing a little bit of that story? You mentioned that you have a story recently that just is getting published now. It got published last night, which, uh -huh. you know, I was trying to like go to bed and be like, all right, I'm gonna be like totally like well stopped with this interview. It's gonna be, you know, I'm going to be, yeah, so, and then at, like, you know, 11.30, I check my email before going to bed. I should never do that. And then <laughs> the like, your story's live. And then I was just, you know, anxiety for the next, like, hour and a half. Because I don't know about this story. It were, it, okay. it, 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 I have a lot of feelings about it. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so the story is called Prescavu. Um, Say it again what the name is. Prescavu. Um, I'm mangling it. It's French. Um, but it means something, like, almost seen, I think. Um, okay. Probably should have just like actually Googled that before I That's talked about it. Um, so in this story, there's a couple of different characters and uh, a little bit of, should I read it first and then talk about it or? It's up to you. Um, okay, so just, yeah, I'll just read this. This is kind of, you know, not the beginning, but like near the beginning. Let me drink some tea before this, okay. Mari had her own kind of inertia, and Clay soon found himself on Mari's balcony, looking out at the fields beyond their shared backyard in the construction project that had been abandoned in them. Billboards along the road still advertised for new homes built to order, but the project had been abandoned. None of the homes were built, and all that remained were enormous gouges in the ground where they dug foundations. A couple wraiths lingered by the edges, little blurs of black and purple gazing down into the pits. Clay sat on his milk curtain while Mari moved around him, combing through his hair with her fingers and snipping with a confidence that made him relax. She pitched his hair into the wind and he thought about birds building their nests with it. What's Finn haunted by, he asked. The movement of Mari's fingers slowed. Unspooled cassette tapes. He wakes up with a tape knotted in his hair. What type of music, Clay asked. We don't listen to them, Mari said. I get postcards. Clay had seen Mari's hauntings, since all of their mail was mixed together. The postcards were vintage, with terrible puns and bland innuendo. The one he'd seen had been had, had a naughty librarian with a with the stacks of books propping up her cleavage. Interested in a thriller? On the other 
for okay. just just breaking this for a moment. That's actually a real postcard I saw. One time. <laughs> it's terrible. Anyway, anyway, on the other side was a spidery scrawl of words in faded brown ink. He'd slipped it under her door without reading it and washed his hands after. It felt terrible to touch someone else's haunting. Minor house keys, Clay said. I wake up with them stuck in my throat. Do they unlock things? I don't know. I haven't tried. Mari fished a pair of clippers out of her bag and plugged them in. Clay shivered as she touched them to his scalp. Cool, she said a moment later, tilting his head up. You look slightly less like you're about to murder a cabin full of teenagers. <laughs> I'm going to just stop it there, although the conversation keeps going. Um, so in this story, <clears throat> in the story, people are haunted by objects. Um, Clay literally wakes up um, choking on house keys that have somehow become lodged in his throat while he sleeps. And then later in the story, while he's awake, um, Mari gets these postcards from people she doesn't know. Um, her boyfriend, Finn, wakes up with, you know, unschooled cassette tapes knotted in his hair. Um, and there are also wraiths, so, you know, like this kind of physical manifestations of ghosts that kind of haunt the town, wander around. Um, they don't speak. Um, sometimes they sing, but not in words that people can understand. Uh -huh. So I wrote, like, four different versions of this story over uh -huh. the course of, oh, my gosh, like, six years. Yeah. yeah. There's this, you know, this idea just kind of persisted. These characters kind of persisted with me um, for, oh, my God. Yeah, six years. Um, and I could not figure out the kind of story that I want to tell with it until the election last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny thing about that. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to write the story about, you know, um, you know, this character who figures out like he's unable to live in the isolation that he's built for himself. You know, he needs other people around. Um, and didn't really put that together um, or at least like didn't have the the impetus to like write that story until yeah the election happened um, and I was total wreck obviously um, it's one thing to live you know to move to Kansas when you are queer and trans um, and politically radical I don't you know I don't think anybody that's met me including like the students that I teach you know would of me okay um but uh it's an entirely different thing like after you know an election where somebody who is you know a nationalist populist um nazi sympathizer um and people are running around campus like waving you know flags uh and you know scrawling uh you know alt-right nationalist slogans on the building where you work um yeah. And, you know, add that to the fact that, you know, the campus now allows students to carry guns or anybody yeah. to carry guns. Yeah. So I, yeah, that, all of that was running through my head when I was running, when I was trying to write the story. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know if I can even stay in this town. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, right after that happened, I had never, never wanted to go back to Chicago so bad. Because mm -hmm. um, I was talking with my partner who, you know, lived in Chicago at the time, or still lives in Chicago, but we're no longer anyway um but you know she was talking about this experience of, you know riding on the train the next day um and almost everybody on the train was just like crying mm -hmm. and i was like oh my god i missed that you know yeah it's so much nicer to hear that than what my experience was which was you know coming home that night and hearing my neighbors be like oh man we're gonna have a really hot first lady oh god yeah 
yeah, that happened. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. That was, this, so this was a story that I was writing as I was kind of, you know, renegotiating uh, the idea of staying in, you know, yeah, a blue dot in a red state. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having to reconsider all of the things that I had, like, thought that I thought I had settled on when I was writing that and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a bummer. Ooh, yes. All right, all right. I just got a little too real there. But the story's really funny. Um, you know, lest it lest I, I appear to be taking all these things really too seriously, there's also, you know, this long-running conversation. Um, Mari is trying to get Clay to talk to her boyfriend about... Uh, you know, well, not to put it too delicately, but letting her fuck him up the ass. Okay. It's just this like long conversation um, that I'm not sorry that I'm playing it for laughs uh-huh. uh, in this story because, you know, um, never not sort of funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's also like, you know, you have to, you know, there's like careful negotiation and navigation of these experiences and, you know, like, Yes, you can take them very, very seriously, but it's, you know, it also, there's, there's humor in it, um, you know, and there's humor even when, so that's something that I was just like kind of present in all of my writing, you know, I'm really, you know, finding humor in situations where maybe I should not be finding humor, like, yeah. oh yeah, fascism and dead people, but also like, you know, there are funny things, you can kind of laugh at that darkness, um, yeah. and even if it doesn't, uh, you know, make the darkness go away, it does, it does, you know, make it feel a little less overwhelming, uh-huh. I think. Uh-huh. I I know that Saturday Night Live is something that I've watched again since the election. I, I've heard those, that from a lot of people. One of those comedy things, you yeah. know, it's like that, that I sometimes need, but really the only part I like is Weekend Update. <laughs> uh. I, I haven't. I, like I haven't watched it, but I think it's just because I don't have a TV. Uh-huh. Um, what was I? Yeah, like most of the humor is just that I find day to day is like in the people that I talk to. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm a huge believer in in humor, and and seriously, that if we don't laugh every day, that's a sign that we're in trouble. I also don't see that as a contradiction to taking things really seriously. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I find myself trying to explain in so many different situations that it's not just this or just that. Yeah. And they don't have to neatly match up. You mm-hmm. know, we can have really different reactions to things. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to have my head in the sand and pretend that the world is a wonderful, beautiful place in the current administration because I don't believe that. But I also have to have ways of coping with what the reality of this world is, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I think that's important for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So writing, do, do you have a sense of writing, doing some specific things for you? Because I always, I, I always mm. think of art as, okay, so this person creates something and there are a variety of motivations to continue to do that. So, so there's obviously some impact even in creating before it's shared. And then there's impact when that art of whatever kind is public 
about the, you know, from the, the beginning part, like, do you have a sense of these are some of the things that make it so that I, that I, I have to write, or it's just who I am, I have to write? Um, kind of both. <laughs> yeah, which makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's not one thing or it's not yeah. the other. Um, I do write for myself, and, you know, some of that is, like, stuff I never share. Mm-hmm. Um, I write... I write bad poetry for myself Um, and I call it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a bad poem and you know, that's fine. I'm the only person that's ever going to read it. It's for me. Um, I journal for myself a lot too. Um, I, uh, I used to, I no longer have the time to do this, unfortunately, but I used to write a lot of fan fiction as well, um, which was, really invaluable um for a lot of reasons you know i I met a lot of friends doing it um it was the first place where i ever actually had a chance to you know like make my stories and make my fiction like publicly available and just like also oh my gosh it was just so relaxing to do it um to not kind of have to have all the same considerations that I do with um, writing stories that I'm going to publish in journals or, you know, the like seven and a half novels that I'm consistently working on all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that felt really indulgent um, and relaxing and, you know, helpful in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And meanwhile, I was also learning how to write with it, but Mm -hmm. yeah. And I want to make sure I was just pulling up the details. You're going to be reading as Part of the Big Tent series. Yes, on the twenty sixth Thursday, October twenty sixth yes. at seven o'clock at the Raven Bookstore on Seventh Street in downtown Lawrence. Mm-hmm. What what will you you know? Not asking you obviously to give away everything, but what kinds of things are you going to be reading there? Is it going to be that story? Is oh, it be, you know, you know? I'm, I'm really excited. That day, maybe who knows? I should really figure this out and nail it down. <laughs> um, I know, I know. Uh, I'm considering reading the story that just went live um Mm -hmm. there's also another story that i have been working on um that's called the fainting game that actually probably is like the most autobiographical thing that i have written um Mm -hmm. i'm not 100 percent sure that i'm gonna read it i'm Mm -hmm. still doing you know the final edits on it Mm -hmm. um uh yeah it's probably going to be one of those two stories Mm -hmm. um I figured since it was so close to Halloween, I could probably get away with uh, reading some spooky, creepy things. Um, so I might do that. <laughs> so you are reading, and then Celeste Ganey, who's a poet, is reading, and Richard Robbins, who is also a poet. Mm-hmm. So two poets and you. So it's really exciting because I don't, I don't often read with poets. Uh I don't know if I ever, I mean, except when I was still writing and reading my poetry, I don't know if I ever have Uh as a, as a fiction writer. Uh And I I encourage people to go to readings at the Mm -hmm. Raven. It's different than if you've never, if people, for people have never been to reading that their idea tends to be, it's going to be this really stuffy thing and I mean, you just heard what I read. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So it's not going to be that. It's no. going to be different. And the Raven Bookstore is is a, so good. Just, yeah, it's such a great so place. Good. So welcoming. I suppose unless you're allergic to cats, in which case you could have a problem. My 
you might have a problem. <laughs> but they're not really like, you know, they're not cats that are just going to like want to jump on you. Yeah. Uh, they're mostly <laughs> really chill cats. And, and it's a local independent bookstore. I'm a huge believer in buy stuff as local to oh the gosh, creation yeah. as possible. Absolutely. So at the readings, typically some of the, the readers are going to have some of their works going to be for sale. Sometimes journals that their work is published in are for sale. There's all kinds of other cool stuff at the Raven. Mm -hmm. And the Raven provides these readings as a gift to the community. Yeah, so, they're absolutely free. Yeah. Anybody can walk in. Yeah. Um, so go. Sometimes there's snacks. Do that, too. yeah. And then there's the cool machine that I don't know what to call it other than a gumball machine that has this. Tiny poems yes. 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 In the, in the room, like when you walk into the Raven, there are kind of two rooms that are connected and there's this giant gumball type machine where you put in your coins, the money gets donated to a relief cause or whatever the cause is at that time. Mm -hmm. And you get a poem. It's like, how sweet is that? That's really sweet. Yeah. I absolutely love I I worked in bookstores for a long time. Uh -huh. The best bookstore, obviously, that I ever worked in was a, you know, locally owned um, and like locally focused bookstore as well. Yeah. Um, you know, this was in Oak Park, Illinois, uh, the book table, if you're ever there, it's such a good bookstore. Yeah. Uh -huh. And those things still exist. My okay. plug is always, you know, if you need to find information through the big online retailers, do that, but see if you can buy the book more locally. Mm -hmm. Support your local booksellers, small them. presses, all that kind of stuff. And and that is something that, that I do personally. So there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I affirm that plug. I completely agree with it. Yeah. And so you are writing, you teach. What, what do you teach at the university? So I'm, I'm a graduate student. I'm in uh -huh. the MFA program at KU. Um, and I, as part of that, I'm also teaching uh, introductory uh, like English classes. So mm -hmm. freshman, composition, critical reading and writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so next year I'll be teaching like creative writing classes mm -hmm. as well. So the classes that you teach already, do they have topics that you get some influence over the, the kinds of things that, that people are working with or a little bit. Yeah. So there's, you know, um, certain framework that you have to work with them, mm -hmm. you know, like um, English 101 is kind of like getting students really used to writing as a process. Um, English 102, you know, you're introducing uh, students to like critical thinking skills, critical reading, critical writing skills. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of within that framework, you have a lot of freedom um, mm -hmm. to sort of do what you want. Unless you're teaching an online class, that's a different kettle of fish. But we're not <laughs> going to talk about that. Um, so with, I really enjoy teaching critical reading and writing. Um, I really did not expect that I would. Uh -huh. um, so it was a huge surprise. I'm like, oh, I really, really like this. Uh -huh. um, it's intellectually challenging in a way that I... I didn't really expect, um, which I really should have. It's teaching, of course. It's intellectually challenging. Um, so this semester, um, kind of, in, I was inspired by uh, these two teachers out of, I think, like the University of Washington in Seattle, who created an entire class around the concept of bullshit. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is topical. This is this is some good stuff. Yeah. So I structured my first unit, kind of sort of around the similar things that they were talking about. They were mostly doing it with uh, like 
informational literacy, data uh-huh. literacy mostly. Uh-huh. And I kind of made it more about like, you know, understanding rhetoric, um, which is something I can teach. I can't teach data information or like data literacy. I'm mm-hmm. not good at it myself, but rhetoric I can teach. Um, you know, like here's how people are, you know, using, manipulating, like um, trying to get you to like, you know, like come to a certain like come to agree with a certain point of view um and here's how to like if i tell you everything is fake news except from what comes out of my mouth oh we can't we we (laughs) spent probably at least like two or three class periods just yeah talking about fake news um kind of like the ways that like you know like the different operations of fake news Uh and like bias in news and um I think my students liked it. We'll see at the end of the semester yeah. what they write um, <laughs> on, their, on their evaluations for me. Um, so, you know, we talked about that. This, you, you know, we've moved on. It's the middle of the semester. We're talking about like uh, ethnography and like the study, you know, doing independent research and, you know, incorporating interviews um, and, uh, you know, field research into their writing. Um, and then next semester, I'm not 100% sure what we're going to, what we're going to do for this last unit. It's going to be like a big research project. It's usually themed last semester. I was like, all right, go research some issue that uh, is embedded in the, you know, in higher education. So I had a lot of students writing about uh, debt um which definitely concerned a lot of them uh-huh. um or protest on campus so i try to uh you know because it's a required class i try to give them like independence and freedom to kind of like investigate the things that are interesting to them mm-hmm. um while also guiding them into like okay here's how to here's where you put your commas you know mm-hmm. um here's how you structure a paragraph because i have to do both mm-hmm. And I imagine it's challenging, you know, and not the not the content. I mean, not the content as much as, you know, when you talked about your experience being on the campus where you're a grad student and, a, and teaching the reactions after the election. And, and I was recently having a conversation with a friend who mm-hmm. is a sociology professor at another institution and talking about some of the rigidity of students in very, um, I will just say conservative, although I really mean more negative than that, viewpoints. And and those students really kind of demanding that they are right and that this other person is wrong and mm-hmm. that encountering different things with students than we used to. Well, I mean, I know that- I haven't encountered it as much as other people I know. And I don't okay. know if I just got, you know, uh, like sensitive profit students this mm-hmm. semester, maybe, mm-hmm. um, or, um, you know, like my students, it could just be that all the students that were really conservative, you know, came in on the first day of class, got a good look at me, <laughs> and they were like, you know, I don't think I'm going to get along with this. Awesome. Teacher. That you works. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I'm not, um, like, I don't refuse to talk about my politics, uh-huh. like, but, and I think also, um, I, like, I, even when I'm trying not to, like, specifically talk about them, I can't completely keep them out of the conversation most yeah, of the time. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I always try to couch it as just kind of like, you know, okay, so how do we critically engage, you know, yeah. this is why I love teaching what I do is like, um, how do we critically engage in these topics? You mm-hmm. know, like, yes, you like, it's totally valid for you to um, espouse like conservative beliefs because I feel uncomfortable telling an 18 year old, no, you're wrong. Right. No, you're wrong for what you believe. Yeah. They're gonna, you know, 
have their own journey with that. Yeah. They don't need sure. somebody who's like almost twice their age to be like, no, you know, yeah. like kind of wagging a finger yeah, at I them. Um, that's Cause that's really not the way to get teenagers yeah. to change their minds about anything. It's not the way think. to get anybody to get their change in mind. Yeah. Um, for with teaching, like what I try to end up doing is like, I'm trying to be like one totally honest about like who I am, what I am, uh-huh. like, you know, yes, you're teach. I don't, out myself the same way in my, you know, introduction to my students, the way that I do in my bio, I find like sort of like sneakier ways to talk about it. Uh Um, You know, this semester, I actually asked my students to fill out a survey, you know, and like in the survey, it's like, what are some things that you're interested in learning about, you know, topic wise, what are, you know, like, you know, your strengths and weaknesses as a writer, so I kind of know where to focus. Also, what are your names and what are your pronouns? Uh-huh. Um, what do you want me to call you and what, you know, what pronouns should I use for uh-huh. you? And then, like, you know, as an example, I use myself. My name is Nino. I use they and then pronouns. Uh-huh. That was my way of adding myself to my class uh-huh. without that's making cool. a big that's deal of cool. it. So you're providing a great learning opportunity, and that's really what I believe is the most important takeaway from yeah. our education is knowing how to learn, not yeah. have a bunch of facts in our head. Yeah. We're at the end of the hour. Oh, shoot. Really? <laughs> we are. So say your name, because I didn't ask you how to say your last name. And... Uh, my name is Nino Cipri. Okay, um, it is. It is okay. an anglicized Italian last name. Okay. I'm, I'm so interested in how those how names come together, like um, pronunciations from... It's always fascinating the way that people like try to pronounce my name. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh... Like, why did you, why did you think Cipri? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or Cipri or whatever they might I mean, be. I know what people might call it Cipri. It's yeah. like, oh, you took Italian classes. Yeah. Oh, you, you know how to speak Italian. Uh-huh. But, yeah. And at this point, you have something that was just published online. I literally last night, um, so the story that is most recently available is called Prescavu. It's on, um, it's online, uh, Liminal Stories magazine. Um, we'll put a link in the announcement. I can, yes, I will, yeah. I will yeah. send oh, you a link perfect. to it. Um, I will be reading at Big Tent on the 26th. I October 26th, so if you're listening October before 26th. then, head over to the Raven yeah. on Thursday, the 26th of October, 2017 at 7 p.m. Uh-huh. Starts the reading. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And if you ever want to, like, chat me up or, like, you know, keep in touch, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, um, and I have a website. It's ninosipri.com, okay. and that's, you know, if you want to see, read other stories that I've got cool. coming out or have published in the past, that is where you can do And that. when they're available for sale, buy the books. <laughs> buy the books at, yes. your, at your favorite local bookstore. All righty. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank and you. And so long to our listeners. Bye.